1: Hi all, Omri here. Quick little heads up before today's episode. Wanted to let everyone know that what you're about to hear is actually the first episode that my father and I ever recorded, so there are a few things that are a little rougher around the edges. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Spies and Lies, an espionage podcast focusing on acts of espionage throughout history, tracing the exploits of daring spies, covert operations, assassinations, hacking, secret organizations, and more. Co-hosted by me, Omri Rose, who spent his childhood living undercover thanks to my co-host and father, Jason, a retired former spymaster of one of the top intelligence agencies of the world. Without further ado, let's dive into today's episode, The Assassination of Julius Caesar and those fateful moments at the Theater of Pompeii. As Caesar and his senators walked in, one of them, Cimber, loudly asked, Will you pardon my brother? And as he made his appeal, the conspirators fanned out around Caesar, who replied, No, he has shown no remorse. Cimber reaches out, grabbing Caesar's toga, yanking it to expose a bare shoulder the signal to attack, as Casca, another conspirator directly behind Caesar and having known him since childhood, stabs, but misses, grazing Caesar's shoulder. Caesar grapples Casca. Casca, what are you doing? This is violence. Everyone is frozen in shock, conspirators and non-conspirators alike. Moments pass as Casca grapples with Caesar before yelling in Greek, brother, help me. And the spell is broken. The conspirators surround Caesar, Stabbing and stabbing, and thus, the mighty titan of Rome falls. Well, those were his last and final moments. Sound about right to you, Dad? Yeah, yeah, that's what
2: happens when you don't uh, take uh, the warning seriously. It was lack of intelligence that brought him to this situation. Being a, a leader, and not knowing that people are trying to assassinate you or plotting against you, that was the, the number one failure from his point of view. I mean, there would have been like an inquiry these days to find out why well, the failure, because right. having so many people conspire against him and not even able to find out about it or know anything about it, that's a really bad situation yeah. to be in. That was a big failure from the point of view of from the leadership.
1: Well, there were 60 conspirators as well. It's, You'd it's think
2: too it's too big for it not to be uh, exposed. I mean, exactly. Enough when you have two people. You don't even trust each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's,
2: it's a recipe for catastrophe. So yeah. Yeah. they couldn't last for that long. And that's why they had to do something. And it was amazing that they managed to survive. With a plot for so long, even though
1: all, all things considered, they actually did a pretty good job in executing it. Let's uh, let's not keep our audience in waiting too much longer. Let's give some background. Let's start with Rome in a nutshell. The Roman Empire was an ancient empire that was basically the the world superpower in the West of the BCEs, and then later into the CEs before it uh, collapsed and split into two: the Eastern Roman Empire, the Western Roman Empire. The Eastern Roman Empire, Eastern Roman empire eventually turning into Byzantium, and on and on and on. On and on. But uh, this is Rome still rising to power. Julius Caesar was a big part of Roman expansion. So who was he? He was born Gaius Julius Caesar to a minor noble family in July 12th in 100 BCE, before Common Era. His childhood is what you'd expect of upper class in Rome at the time. He had various political posts, apprenticeships, and commands. And uh, actually, during his teens, there was a civil war in Rome between different senators and various factions, and he was even whisked away at that time. He had all sorts of different positions and posts and adventures in his life, including a particularly exciting run-in with pirates, where he's kidnapped and later gets out and gets his revenge on the pirates after vowing that he would. It's all very dramatic stuff. But what we're focused on is later in life, because he eventually finds himself in a leading role in the Senate, forming an alliance in what is called the First Triumvirate, which was with two other men, Crassus, a veteran politician, but more importantly, Pompey, who becomes a political ally to our man, Gaius Julius Caesar. Pompey was a famous general and also politician. So together the triumvirate passes many political reforms and policies and defeats their opposition in the Senate and all that good stuff, gaining in power and helping all three men, and our man Gaius Julius Caesar amasses power and prestige, eventually attaining a position leading a couple of legions, which he uses to great effect. He turns out to be an excellent military commander, and he conducts what's known today as the Gallic Wars in Gaul, which is basically modern-day France. Uh, But the Senate didn't approve these wars. In fact, it was a point of contention, friction growing between the Senate and Caesar, because Caesar was acting of his own volition to an extent, claiming that the wars he was fighting were all defensive wars to protect allies in Gaul against the threatening Gallic tribes. Essentially, Caesar using this and other excuses to basically conquer all of Gaul over the course of several campaigns, and he was even the first Roman to venture into Britain in the British Isles. He built a bridge across the Rhine and was an all-around military badass with many achievements under his belt. Which made all those senators back in Rome very, very nervous. Well, it's a way to get enemies. Well, it's a thing that has not changed, even from all the way back then. A fear of these proficient, popular military leaders coming in and overthrowing either politically or potentially, violently, the established order.
2: When you rely on force or military to be in power, then what does it mean? It means that you need people, you need an army, and you need followers who will support you in it. But at what point does the though these people who are supporting you decide, wait a minute, I, I, I can actually do it better than the leader. Maybe I don't like what he's doing. Maybe he's out of town and there's an opportunity, or maybe there's some more money to be made and I'm not making enough. So on one hand, you want... Strong people to keep you in power, but on the other hand, if they're too strong, they might want your job. That's always the problem.
1: But back to our man, Gaius Julius Caesar. People were afraid of him. He was amassing power and prestige, but not everyone was afraid of him because the people loved him. Why did they love him? because of spoils and plunder, making people love him, which only increased the fears amongst the ruling class and senators. By this time, the Triumvirate had fallen, Crassus was dead, and Pompey had allied himself with other senators, fearful of Caesar's growing power, and so, eventually, the Senate demanded and ordered that Caesar disband his armies and return to Rome. Caesar, aware of the fear in the Senate and that they wanted him gone because he was a dangerous thorn in their side, realized that this essentially was a death sentence. If he returned to Rome, they were gonna get rid of him. At least that's what he thought. So, marching his armies towards Rome, a 51-year-old Caesar reaches the Rubicon River in January of the year 49 BCE, saying words that would become famous in history, Alia iacta est, the die is cast. What did he mean by that? Well, there was a history in Rome that no one was to bring troops across the Rubicon River, and as he crossed it with his troops, He was breaking a precedent, a tradition, that no legions were allowed to pass there. He had cast the die, the die of civil war. Caesar fights Pompey, and through a series of battles, he eventually defeats him. But after Pompey, resistance persists until Caesar defeats Pompey's sons. And then finally, 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 with them dead, he takes charge. And enacts many reforms in Rome, land bills to veterans, citizenships to people from the fringes of the empire, and unifies and strengthens the government, as well as streamlines things. Also, incidentally, the Julian calendar comes into being, July being for Julius Caesar. Eventually, he is elected dictator for life, dictator perpetuo. Described today as a populist authoritarian, his reforms and growing power frightened the elites, the elites thinking Caesar was bad news, but even more so now after he was being elected dictator for life, fearing that the next step was him trying to become king. The people, of course, loved him. And so, the situation was rife for trouble. And what was that trouble? A group of senators decided that they needed to stop Caesar. And how are they going to do that? Well, they were just going to have to kill him. The first meeting of these uh, conspirators happened on the evening of February 22nd, 44 BC. And it was Cassius, who was a general who served with uh, Pompey and against Caesar in the battle previously but was pardoned, and his brother-in-law, the famous Brutus. And he was also pardoned by Caesar for his uh, involvement. But the most interesting thing is the third head honcho conspirator was a guy called Decimus. Decimus was Caesar's general, and he was actually a friend and close confidant of Caesar. Quite a stab in the back, literally and figuratively, right? So what
2: happens. Uh, those are the closest to you, the ones you have to be careful from.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, soon enough, other conspirators joined, the most important of which Trebonius, Cimber, and Casca. And eventually there were were 60 senators total involved in this plot. And uh, they would regularly meet in each other's houses. Why would they meet in each other's houses and not like a more public place? I would think that meeting in houses would be kind of a little bit more conspicuous, no?
2: Well, if you remember, it's a different time than these times. I mean, if they wanted a bit more privacy, no bodyguards, no people that they don't know. They didn't have to worry those days, even with people, uh, you know, listening devices you know, there were senators, they had lush houses, It was they felt comfortable, they didn't want to wander mm-hmm. around, and yeah. it made it logical and normal for them to meet at each other's houses instead of going outside where they want to mix up with too many of the commoners, right? I mean, uh, who right. wants to mix with commoners, you know? And the fact that there were so many of them, it, it gave them confidence that what they're doing is the right thing, and they're not really, they felt that it's their duty to do what they're doing, so the numbers helped them. Legi-
1: it, it legitimized them, for sure.
2: In their eyes, of course. Yeah. Although they went against the will of the people, but they felt that... They were had to tell the people what was good for them,
1: and a lot of them were, were were Caesar supporters. Previously, it wasn't just people who were kind of against him. You know, people like Decimus, but there were others um, well, who made up the some ranks.
2: Well, nominated, and some of them actually like in, in as you know, Brutus was actually. Um, Related, maybe related in from the family point of view. At least his mother had a relationship with Caesar. So that,
1: that was an interesting little tidbit that that uh, Caesar had a relationship with Brutus's mother, and and there was even rumors sure. that maybe Brutus was his son. But the age thing is probably not accurate because Caesar would have had to have him when he was like fifteen or something. So
2: we don't know about that.
1: We don't know. History doesn't doesn't know about that. So uh, one of the big questions that they had was who they should bring on board into this conspiracy. And two names that really stuck out. Cicero, who was a well-known older senator. He was like a pillar of the Senate, um, well-established, but they weren't sure if they should bring him in. None of the senators really knew him well enough, and the average age of the senators in this conspiracy was around 40, and Cicero was closer to his 60s, a little, little older. But they they considered it because he was a legitimate big pillar of the Senate. Why do you think they would or wouldn't approach this, this older, more established person?
2: Well, if you think about it, you know, it's like the old boys club. They mm. want to keep it to the people they know, and they're hesitant about bringing someone else in. But in this case, you would say he wasn't part of their group, and yeah. they felt that maybe they didn't want to jeopardize themselves. And as well, what would they want to achieve? When you do an, uh, an act like this, your objective is what's the day, what's happening the day after? Right. And the outcome they wanted was not to have another elderly or more someone else to take over. They wanted something different. So having someone. Who would feel his more senior in the group, who maybe felt that he has more of a clout, maybe they decided that they don't want to bring him in because then he might have some claims to the job he would want to do afterwards.
1: Interesting.
2: So they would think to themselves, Maybe just have us group do it. We're the same age, we're the same rank, we're more or less the same coming up together. Um, maybe we should keep it that way and not bring someone from a different uh, generation and that could, was, won't see eye to eye what we want to do.
1: I guess maybe there was a threat that if they bring Cicero in, who's more established kind of than, than the other ones, a lot of these guys were generals. Brutus was more of a politician, but Cicero was, was the politician of the time. They might feel threatened that he would kind of monopolize the movement, potentially. That's very Perfect. interesting. The the other guy that they, they debated to bring in was actually Mark Anthony himself, Caesar's right-hand guy, you know, his number yes. two, basically.
2: Here, Omri, you have a very interesting situation here where intelligence information that they received from one of the main plotters made them decide not to have him join. Gronius was able to tell them that in the past, when some question was asked about it he was hesitant and wasn't in favor so here you have some intelligence information brought into the table and according to that information they made a decision that it's not worth for them to try and do something so if he wouldn't have known this they probably would have approached him would have maybe made a complete difference because you have more people then you have people bringing in their information, and then yeah. that information gives you an opportunity to evaluate better what you want to do.
1: So, yeah, it, it, very fascinating about Mark Anthony. Because, of course, if you could get Caesar's right hand guy, that would be a big boon. But as you said, Trebonius gave them some information that there was a plot that he was aware of previously. They approached Mark Anthony with it, and, and Mark Anthony refused flat out. So, why risk it? If he would become aware of the plot, and of course, if he already said no once, why would he say yes now?
2: Because you always have to remember, a guy like Mark Anthony coming on board, he will have a different – he will want something out of it. For him, the risk is bigger. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why they decided, for instance, not to assassinate. If we – we're going to discuss that as well. I mean, they yes, had, we um, will.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because they, they thought about assassinating Mark Anthony as well at a certain yes. time, which In, we'll touch so let's
2: on. Let's get yeah. rid of all the three of them, all the three main guys. They can have a queen slate. A queen slate. A,
1: queen, a clean slate. A queen <laughs> slate. Yes, we'll, we'll bring the queen. <laughs> No, we don't to if have somebody bring me? God save the Queen. No, you know. <laughs> the
2: Queen
1: so, the plot itself, they very quickly decided that three things needed to happen for the assassination. It needed to be one, yep. seen as legitimate, it needed to be two, Correct. seen as full of idealism, and three, full of conviction. So, it had, they decided it had to be done in public, which would demonstrate that as senators, it was a legitimate act, full of okay. idealism to, to bring down a would be king. And they were full of conviction for their act. Those are the three pillars of what they decided needed to be shown through the act. So something like poison would seem not as legitimate or idealistic. Or hiring yes. some foreign barbarian to come in and kill him would, would not seem as, as legitimate or, or idealistic. So they decided it had to be done in public. And eventually they came up with three options, which were very interesting, I gotta say, to how they would kill him. The first option was... To kill Caesar while he was overseeing an election, he would be on a raised platform in full view, and there would also be a VIP area that all could see, and they would kill him then. Of course, this option they feared might cause a riot, because the people loved him, as we said, and if, if he was killed in front of full view of all the people, they feared that you know, they didn't know how the people would act. The second option was to kill him on the way to elections which would be to ambush him on a bridge, potentially pushing him off, where they would have a few of them waiting below to, to finish him off. But this one relied on the physical prowess of the senators themselves, and these guys were kind of you know, senators. They're not generals so much anymore. Um, those who had military experience might have been a little more plump now. And, and the third option was Decimus, uh, one of our big co-conspirators, actually owned a school of gladiators. They thought maybe at a public game— which is where the gladiators fought, where weapons would not be deemed suspicious. The gladiators might, uh, you know, come in and, and do the do the business, do the do the dirty deed. Of course, all of these options would mean that Caesar would have a bodyguard around him, or at least not necessarily a bodyguard, because interestingly, Caesar decided to not go around with a bodyguard because he was a a ballsy kind of guy. But he did have. Um, friends and confidants around him that were were tough ex-soldiers so not strictly a bodyguard but definitely people around him who could handle themselves in a fight and these three options were were debated kill while overseeing an election kill on the way to the election with the bridge or the gladiator option which i think if anyone in hollywood is watching you could make a quentin tarantino kind of inglorious bastards of these gladiators storming through rome that could be something to see what do you think of these options dad
2: well again they have to go back to the objectives they had to be legitimate they had to make sure that they will eventually get the support of the people they didn't want to show that it's a cowardly act that's why they had to have the numbers because if it's one person it's yeah it's a it's a different game when you have so many people doing it so it's obviously have to be a place where they can all be legitimately be Mm -hmm. and as you you said in the beginning you know it took courage to do the act. It it did. It wasn't like they all jumped on him in the beginning and tried to stab him. But it it took some time before they all had the courage to do it because it's not something you they they felt 100 percent comfortable with to do it themselves.
1: So well, C- Caesar also himself was was a, a badass. I mean, to put it lightly, yeah. he he was a, a warrior, a general. You know, I mean, okay, he was older at this point, but still he he was uh, a person to be feared you know in the spanish campaign to quell uh, pompey's sons the, the last of the resistance he actually when his army was was starting to break in one battle he ran forward grabbed a shield and ran straight out into the front lines dodging arrows fighting just to sort of shame all of his other people in, into action and you know this guy was was not to be messed with you know he, he was an imposing powerful figure that commanded respect
2: if you look at the other options as you mentioned These are not trained assassins. No. Okay. So to push someone into the river and hope someone will pick him up. And
1: this
2: is, this is, you need a lot of planning and a lot of preparation. And they they didn't have that. So they knew they had to go for something that was, you know, keep it simple. That's always a. But, but they did
1: have, they did have ex generals. I mean, Decimus was a general, um,
2: Cassius,
1: you know, they they had people. Generals
2: very nice, but if you don't have soldiers behind you, you're just a person. That's true. Generals oh, very very important that they can they can give orders, but can they actually do it? Or well, do they want to do it or they're willing to do it? That's why they needed the numbers. That's right. why they wanted to legitimize it. So in the end they realized that using gladiators was not the right thing. Pushing someone into the river, too much of a chance. And if they get help, if you look at the option, they didn't want to get their hands dirty. Right.
1: Right? Well they did. They wanted um, it, their hands eventually. dirty,
2: but they didn't want their hands dirty. Mm -hmm. So the options they had in the beginning were, you know, a little bit, you know, let someone else do the job. Let's let's uh, have someone else do the dirty job. And they realized that if they really wanted to do it, eventually they had to do it themselves.
1: And of course, the, the key thing is, you know, the objective. The objective is not just to remove the person you wish to remove, but also what's going to happen afterwards. How is the response going to be, which is why they wanted it to seem legitimate, idealistic and full of conviction. So, you know. If they just randomly shot a crossbow at Caesar while he was on this raised platform in full view of everyone, you know, that, that doesn't seem as honorable, right? You know, maybe the people will will, will riot in, in anger or you're pushing them off a bridge. That doesn't seem very honorable or gladiators. So, so I suppose all of those things were debated. Yes. Then, of course, came the big announcement from Caesar. On March 18th BC, 44 BC, weeks later, he would be leaving Rome. Dun, dun, dun. That means the conspirators had to come up with a new plan, and they realized that their previous three options were, as you said, not ideal. So they needed, one, a controlled environment. Two, it needed to be quick, really quick, you know, in and out, not a lot of complications. And they quickly came to the idea that in a Senate meeting would be ideal, because the Senate meeting is a private but technically public place, but most importantly— There would be no bodyguards for Caesar because no one is allowed to bear arms in a Senate and no one is allowed inside except for senators. Plus, of course, the beautiful symbolism of slaying a would-be tyrant, according to them, in the Senate, which is the uh, democratic bastion of Rome. The last Senate meeting was scheduled for March 15th, three days before Caesar would leave, and uh, they decided that that's when they would have to do it. But then, of course, a little, little problem came their way which was that Caesar had begun a construction on the main Senate house in Rome and was doing renovations all across Rome. So the Senate was actually meeting in different temples and uh, locations around the city. And every Senate meeting, it was moved. So they didn't know where they were going to meet. It's
2: quite a nightmare for the conspirators to make a decision where to do it. Huge.
1: Suddenly you have weeks and you don't know where it's going to be. It's a it's a great stress to get the right yeah.
2: people in the right place. Yeah, you don't know how it's going to work out. From a point of view of planning, it's you can't really plan properly for an assassination when you don't know where it's going to t- even take place. And that maybe explains why the hesitance in the beginning
1: when they, they started how it's going to happen. But certainly the the time constraint, in some ways, you know, time constraints are good, right? If you're under pressure. Then you kind of have to make decisions. There's, and 60 people, I can only imagine how back and forth those de- debates would have been amongst the conspirators. But if you only have a couple of weeks, like, stuff's got to happen. you got to make the decisions. Yes. In some ways, that could be good, That's right? no choice.
2: I mean, they, they eventually you have a window. And probably they've had enough about talking about it. They decided if they're not going to do something quickly, they're going to be caught yeah. and it's going to be leaked out. So they have to make a decision and it has to be done quickly.
1: Right. So they, they decided, as they said, in the Senate meeting, now the only problem was how do they get weapons inside? Well, they decided that uh, a few senators would stash some, some daggers yes. in their togas, which was a big deal because it was a death penalty if they were caught with those weapons in the Senate. And others would smuggle in weapons inside these baskets that were used for carrying note-taking material. Now, a big deal was made after the fact and also in the planning, that the daggers that they would use would be these military daggers called pugios. I'm probably butchering the name there. Uh, Pugio? Pugio. uh, Sounds like a pasta. Delicious. But uh, these daggers, they they specifically wanted to use these daggers because, again, it goes back to the the symbolism of the honorable, legitimate thing. These are military daggers. This is a military operation to get rid of a would-be tyrant who's going to usurp democracy in Rome. This is not an assassin's tool right? This is not a killer's tool. This is a military weapon. Brutus made, made a big deal of that afterwards, even had a coin minted with the daggers. And of course, they had to figure out which location. But then the big question arose from Cassius, which was, what about Mark Anthony? He'd be there in the Senate too. And uh, he's, a, he's a tough guy. So d- do we kill him as well when, when we kill Caesar? And what about Lepidus, who we haven't mentioned yet? Now Lepidus was Caesar's master of horse, which is like his general in command of uh, armies. and he had a legion outside the city. Isn't that dangerous if he's he's alive and then he can just march that that legion inside? So So suddenly this debate came of, do we kill Mark Anthony and Lepidus as well? Do we take out this triumvirate and then uh, control the Senate and, and all that stuff? Which you know now you're now you're talking about three assassinations when for months they couldn't even figure out one. And, of course, the pressure to figure out what was going to happen grew and grew and grew. And and there was a split amongst the conspirators because, you know, some were in favor of doing that, others not. It it got real, real messy until Brutus, the famed Brutus, yells, No! We are not revolutionaries! Not here to overthrow the government! We are trying to prevent this! To remove a tyrant! Not create a purge! Yes. This was recorded. Eventually, after the the conspirators split in half, Brutus finally quelled everyone by saying, the people would turn on them for going after popular legislation that Caesar passed, which posed another thing. If it was assassinations and they're claiming that he was illegitimate, then his legislation would fall. So they had to make sure it was done in a way that it was removing him as a potential monarch tyrant, but not delegitimizing, which would happen if they purged. So eventually everything settled
2: if you think about it, it makes sense. I'm sure they were thinking about the day after. And as Brutus said, we have to remember, what's the reason we're doing it for? Is it a coup? Is it a change of government? Or is it just getting rid of someone we think is bad, going against the system? And I think in the end, mm. they did the right decision for in their eyes in the long term.
1: Spoiler alert, in the long term, it didn't work. But uh, in their eyes, yeah, it, yes. it, it, they had to be legitimate. Yeah.
2: So that's why I th- they could not, in their own eyes, I think, justify killing two other people when their aim was only to get rid of Julius Caesar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Preserving democracy rather yeah. than, we don't like these guys, let's get rid of them.
2: Then what's going to happen the next day? Someone doesn't like something, get rid of everybody. and It becomes right. messy.
1: Yeah. It, interesting. little little bit of a trivia in here. You know, Brutus w- was a, a very important uh, symbol in all this, also for the, the legitimacy of it all, because Brutus had a very... Honorable, he's an honorable man, of course, as Shakespeare said. His family name, which was Brutus, was very important in Rome because his ancestors, the, the original Brutus, actually killed the last monarch of Rome Correct. that led to actually the Republic. So there was this, this ancestry, this history of Brutus as this um, savior of democracy in a yes. Republic. So there was That's a lot why of symbolism it was important
2: there. for them to stick to just this one assassination.
1: Yep. Exactly. Now, the lead-up to the plot, you know, there's weeks away, and uh, Caesar was not oblivious to the fact that there were plots against him. There were, there were lots of warnings, one from uh, Spirina, which was a priest, and he says to Caesar, beware the Ides of March, March 15th, which is the day, the day he died, which Caesar, of course, uh, disregarded yes. at that point. But there were other warnings. Caesar pulls Cassius aside for a meeting, and afterwards he turns to an aide asking, You know, what's his problem? He looks sick. Uh, Another story goes that Caesar watched Cassius speak with Brutus at a Senate meeting and asked a different aide, the same aide, who knows? We'll call him John. Hey, John, what's going on with them? What do you think Cassius is up to? I don't like him. He looks pale. So maybe Cassius ate some bad fish, or maybe Caesar was seeing something. And, you know, y- you do get plots and things happening all the time. It, it would be illogical to think that there wouldn't be plotting and scheming. But, I mean, come on, as a leader, don't you set up something to be aware of this stuff? Well, How does this work, Dad? Explain it to me. The,
2: try to understand the psychology it goes through. Julius Caesar as a leader. It's very popular.
1: With the people. But he knows that the senators don't necessarily love well,
2: him. Well, it's very popular, okay? He knows he's liked he knows he's loved. He knows he's done a good job. He knows he feels good about himself. But for the wealth of the, of the city, it is, it's not a situation where the, the people are not happy. You get confident and you say, well, even the Senate, okay, they don't like me, but who are they? They're not going to do something like that. I mean, they wouldn't go against the rule. I mean, they won't get the support for it. So when he looks at it and he doesn't have like a research department who's going to give him the analytical report saying, no, this is a situation you should do something. So he says to himself, look, I don't see a scenario like this happening. Yes, I know there's people that are not happy with me, but what gain will they have? They're not gonna be able to take over my job. So I, sh- I shouldn't worry about it? If he would have known that there's so many people conspiring against him, then maybe he would have thought about it indifferently. Now we, we don't obviously know why he dismissed everything, but we could one would say that when you are in power for a long time and you When you're fed information by people who don't always contradict you and don't always bring out the bad news, you don't always get the right picture. And then the decisions you make Mm -hmm. are not necessarily based on the reality, but the reality that you're fed. And because he had no other sources of information that could feed him about what's going on or that there is a conspiracy going on, or there's something happening, then he felt very comfortable.
1: He's riding high on his triumphs. Yes,
2: you know when you're very popular with the people, and we can look at it today. But we don't want to go into modern politics. But when you feel you're very popular, you 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 don't think the opposition is gonna has a chance to do something, something against you.
1: Right, you feel invincible. Exactly.
2: That's when things become dodgy and become and then dangerous. And this is what happened to him. They're complacent.
1: That's what happened here. And they took advantage of. It. He was showered with gifts by the people, and and praise, and and titles, and all these things. So he got he got cocky, kid. Don't get cocky, kid, and he did. See, always listen to Star Wars. Then something quite interesting happened, which was on March 14th, the day before the plot. Lepidus, which was uh, Caesar's master of horse, invites Caesar yep. and Decimus. Remember uh, yes. Caesar's best bud, who is also yes. a conspirator, for dinner and drinks. A little, little cocktail hour. You know, I can imagine the small talk. Yeah, yeah, so you see what that gladiator's up to? My money's on the one with the, the short leg. Anyway, he the, the conversation turns to, what's the best way to die? A lovely piece of evening conversation. Yes. And Caesar is uncharacteristically silent, as Decimus and Le- Lepidus talk. I can only imagine that Decimus is kind of like squirming. He probably didn't bring this up. Ooh, what's the best way to die? Well, Caesar's about to find out. But uh, anyway, Caesar says the best way to die is suddenly yes. and unexpectedly. I can only imagine Decimus kind of squirming there and going, ooh, that's a, that would be a, an interesting conversation to be privy oh, to.
2: Or he um, to himself, what does he know? Does he know something? I mean, if he's now back to the conspirators, he says, look, I had this conversation. He feels something is happening. He sent me a message. He knows something is happening. Maybe. I mean, he would have been very worried about that conversation.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure.
2: He didn't. He didn't. Because he felt that it actually, he felt more comfortable. They're doing the right thing. That actually they're filling the wish of Caesar.
1: Well, maybe, yeah. He's uh, like, well, Caesar wants to die suddenly and unexpectedly. Let's just do it then. We're just filling yes, his just, wish. It's be, great. Just fulfilling what the. wants. Well, thank Caesar, us later. Guys, he yep. told me last night, this is how he yep. wants to die. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> he doesn't get wet. He doesn't have um, water.
1: He does anyway, uh, he,
2: he just wants to do it the
1: way. No. Yes. Just suddenly and unexpectedly. So what we need is we need a guy in, in a scary clown costume, just just hide behind the door when Caesar comes home, just a big boo, and there you go. We'll, we'll get someone who dresses like Vercingetorix, exactly. uh, his old Gaulish exactly. enemy, to scare him. There we go. Gaulish and Garish. Not that they're one and the same, it's just a funny play on words. Back home, Caesar uh, goes to sleep and suddenly wakes up to his yes. wife Calpurnia screaming with vivid dreams. Oh, Caesar, Caesar, you're bloody and dead in my arms. The roof collapsed and all these terrible omens. Neither can sleep, of course. And the strange thing is Calpurnia is uh, not the religious type. So it's odd for her to pay attention to dreams, but this really shook her. We're taking this with a little bit of a grain of salt, but interesting to to say that, you know, maybe she was feeling squeamish. What did she hear? The network of, of the wives of senators? Were there rumors going about? Did she have these bad feelings? You got to trust your gut sometimes, right? I mean, I, I imagine that operations sometimes go or stop just because people have gut feelings. Yes, but not, right?
2: we don't stop operations because of dreams. But in, in this case, this is not the situation. I mean, the question is, how, many, how often did she have these sort of dreams? And what is his reaction to it? Did it all sink in that all of a sudden there's a lot of things happening? Maybe he decided that mm-hmm. he should leave Rome sooner than later, because all these noises around him are coming up. Maybe the better place for him to be is where he feels the most comfortable. Maybe that's the reason that he decided to move out of uh, Rome sooner than later.
1: Yes. He, he was planning on going to campaign in Parthia.
2: Yes. If I have my history you know, right. So why would he want to do that? Maybe yeah. he did hear things. Maybe he felt, you know, I'm leaving in a couple of days, you know, I'm changing my plans. You know, like the security stuff, I'm always changing. I'm not going to the same place all the time, making it difficult to assassinate me. But who knows?
1: In some senses, it's safer to actually be out in the field. Uh, where you have your comrades in arms, and you know what the enemy is, rather than at home, the viper's den of politics. It's a little bit scarier. So maybe there's that aspect too. He he is hearing these whispers and these rumors and these things. And most of his life, he actually didn't spend in Rome. He he campaigned all over the place. So yeah, he maybe he yeah he felt safer outside of Rome and was getting ready to go. That's why he changed the date and. Maybe Calpurnia was feeling the same way, or maybe he just wanted to get back to to Cleopatra, his mistress who was waiting outside Rome. But that's a different story. Um, In the morning, after not sleeping and not feeling too well, he he bids Calpurnia farewell because he has to go and perform a a minor religious ceremony. Now, uh, Caesar was what is called the Pontifex Maximus. He was elected this years and years ago, which is uh, the head priest of Rome. So he had to perform this minor religious ceremony in the morning, and the, the Senate meeting was afterwards. And there he bumps into the old friend Spirina, that priest who told him to beware the Ides of March. And uh, Caesar says to Spirina, the Ides have come! And then Spirina shakes his head. Yes. But not yet gone. Yes.
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: So Caesar performs the minor rites. This shakes him. He's not feeling well. He goes home. He and Calpurnia talk, and lo and behold, he agrees to cancel the Senate meeting and rest. He tells Mark Anthony to inform the Senate, and Mark Anthony goes and does that. Now you can just imagine the conspirators shaking in their boots. What are we going to do? Our plans out the window. What's going on? I mean, what would it be like in that moment as a conspirator? What What, what do you think is going through the head? How do they react? What are they thinking? Do they try to make a new plan? What, what do they do? What, what would I would do. I mean, first of all, panic
2: hits the ranks. Does he know something we don't know? Are we going to be arrested? Mm-hmm. Is there something going on? Sometimes it's it's something. as a guy didn't feel well, or he had a stomach problem, or a bug. But you don't know. The worst thing is because you don't know, you you assume the worst. Then you then you start to Mm -hmm. eliminate or gather more information to understand what the situation is. That's why they sent
1: Decimus. Decimus gets sent to to talk to Caesar afterwards. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and he does. He's actually he does the 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 tough job of bringing him out. He is the one that really the heavy lifting on him is the the whole uh, plot. If he's man, if he is to bring him out, good. If he doesn't and it fails, then yeah, he's the one that's going to be uh condemned by Julius Caesar.
1: So the conspirators decide, or maybe Decimus, I feel like Decimus would be like, I'll take care of this. They didn't really decide. I feel like he would just kind of rush out and do it. But I mean, do the conspirators then kind of think, well, if we don't get him here, do we try to assassinate him as he leaves Rome? Do we wait? I mean. Do do they feel, I guess there is a time sensitivity, because if he leaves, he's going on campaign for years, which is bad.
2: If he leaves, he leaves with all these bodyguards. There's no chance for them. No chance.
1: That's true. Right. No chance. So are they thinking maybe attack him at home before he leaves? I mean, what what, what would be their plan B?
2: Probably there was no plan B. If he didn't come out, they would probably have to wait until he get a good opportunity. And then they would have probably been found out because someone would have leaked and said something to Julius Caesar, and then it would have been run out and executed or whatever he, they used to do with them when they don't like them very much. right? Maybe feed them to... Uh, Tickle their toes. Other, well, <laughs> tickling their toes was a nice way of doing it, but uh, feed them to some um, animals they've been picking up around the world that need to be fed. So I True suppose, story, they did that. I know they did. And basically, it was... Uh,
1: so basically, you're saying it all was resting on Decimus right yes, now.
2: Yes, okay. that's the problem. You have so many people knowing about the conspiracy... And when it's just about to happen, and they've already put the they've put the weapons out, and they've done the plan, and they've done everything else, they've gone too far ahead to completely change everything. Would have been very difficult. But again, we don't really know, but we can assume that they they really were hoping that they could do it. That's why they decided to mm-hmm. send someone to try and bring him out. And now, is it a common thing for him to come out? We don't know if it's something out of the normal. Well,
1: again, De- Decimus was Caesar's friend, so at least there was that pretext. I mean, if if it would be like Cassius or or Brutus. It might have been a little bit more suspicious, but we have Decimus who gets sent. Again, so useful to have someone in the inner ranks of the person you're trying to assassinate.
2: That's why it's important to have, as you say, agents who are close to the source. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Decimus goes to Caesar and he arrives. We don't know exactly what he said, but there's uh, one account that he says something along the lines of, will someone of your stature pay attention to the dreams of women and the omens of foolish men? And then the kicker is he says a big fat lie. Now, Caesar, buddy, listen, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but there's this new bill kicking around. We want to pass it. It's to call you king outside of Italy. Now, this bill, it might not pass if you don't show, man. You know, people love you. They, you got you to gotta get them votes. You got to hustle. And of course, this was a big fat lie, but it was very flattering to Caesar. Yes. Again, we have to remember and take these things with a grain of salt, but basically Decimus Convinces Caesar to go. Uh, he guarantees Caesar's safety. He says this to Caesar. And of course, another big fat lie.
2: Why would you say something if there's nothing to worry about?
1: I mean... Well, that's also interesting. Why would you even say that? Yeah. Why, is it... <laughs> is it not supposed to be safe?
2: I mean, why would you why would you even say that? I mean, unless Julius Caesar felt there was a problem, and uh, then why? how can he guarantee it? I mean, he has, you know, the Senate...
1: Well, so, I guess there was the dreams and things, right? Well,
2: uh, yeah, so... Interesting that he would say these things. If he did, that I'll take care of you. I mean, why should he take care of Caesar? Caesar has yeah. to take care of himself. But okay, whatever
1: it takes, uh, whatever it works, works. Whatever convince, convince. It's kind of funny though, if you think about it. It's like I, I phone up a friend. I'm like, hey, buddy, you want to come out to a movie? He's like, eh, I don't know, I'm not feeling well. I had a bad dream. Don't worry, man. I'll protect you. I guarantee your safety in this movie. It's like, well, why? Is there something happening? Something <laughs> well, in the popcorn? Kind of a yeah, yeah. Something in the popcorn. <laughs> Could be a historian adding that in. But uh, on the way to the meeting, as they're walking through Rome to, to the meeting, which was taking place at the Theater of Pompeii, which was outside the city in a, an ironic twist of fates, yep. uh, his old bitter rival, as they're going towards the, the meeting, a man pushes through the crowds and approaches Caesar, handing him a scroll, and he says, read quickly and alone. Now, Caesar gets things like this all the time. And what does Caesar do? He hands this scroll to his attendant. Yes. What's interesting is this note is a warning detailing the conspiracy in full, and Caesar never reads it. No. He never reads
2: That's it. It's as well. Whoever it is, he was probably too busy doing other things, and he didn't have a chance to read it, and maybe only after.
1: Well, the attendant, you know, he gets the thing, he puts it in his toga, and they keep going, right? He's he's crowd control. Yes. Again, this goes back to kind of the failure of intelligence. He was overconfident. He thought he was untouchable, and he didn't have spy agency. He didn't have a network around him rooting out plots and things, which we do now, I guess, you know. Yep. They approached the theater of Pompeii outside the city. In the morning, It was a meeting in the temple, and in the afternoon, there was supposed to be a gladiator fight. Now Decimus, with his school of gladiators, wanted to get his gladiators in on the event, but was rejected. And so he had his gladiators just waiting outside with their weapons, with a very bad cover story as to why they were there. The cover story was they were watching out if another school of gladiators showed up so that they could arrest them for contract violation. Very, very kind of bad cover story, so you just have all these gladiators kind of outside... And because uh, Decimus and, and Julius are late, the senators are waiting outside. So you have all these gladiators waiting outside and all these senators waiting outside. And Caesar and Decimus walk up. It must have been a, a strange sight to behold. I mean, again, this is more warning bells, right? I mean, you yeah. see a bunch of armed guys, kind of kind of strange. But they, they show up. The senators swarm Caesar with uh, the usual questions. Casca checks in with Decimus. Casca was one of our, our conspirators. Checks in with Decimus. Is all good, buddy? I mean, everything okay? We're we're doing all right? And before Decimus has a chance to kind of answer, some random senator shows up and speaks really loudly. Casca! Brutus told me your little secret. How dare you keep me in the dark like this? Yes. You're running for Aedile. When did this happen? <laughs> so Everyone, of course, uh, was squirming in that moment of between the how could you keep me in the dark and you're running for a dial. Uh, Of course, this is just a position that uh, Casca was running for. Meanwhile, another senator, a rando senator, pulls Cassius and Decimus aside as the first random senator was talking to Casca and he whispers something much more interesting. I hope you accomplish your task. Please do not delay. People know and are talking. Yes. So it's gotten around. Someone has a loose lips And they're afraid that the ships are going to be sunk now. So they look to Caesar, but all seems normal. Of course, he's being surrounded by other senators, all talking to him, asking questions. When suddenly that first rando senator rushes to Caesar and makes a big show of whispering to him something. All the conspirators watch on edge. Do they do it now? Do they use the gladiators? What are they going to do? But it was a false alarm. And Caesar heads inside, as do the senators. But what would have happened? What would have happened at that moment, do you think? If Caesar suddenly hears of the assassination, what is he going to do? Do the senators send the, the gladiators? Well, what do you think to see will happen?
2: Which senators are running to the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> so, arrest anyone who runs to the toilet now, because, the, because those are the ones I'm uh, that have. Those are the
1: ones who were in on it.
2: In on it, exactly. <laughs> Dangerous times, you know. Too many people, as you know, too many people with arms walking around the street never does something good.
1: Right. So the senators head inside, and. As planned, Trebonius, another one of those uh, main senators, uh, conspirators that we talked about, pulls Mark Anthony aside. This is critical because uh, Mark Anthony and uh, Caesar were, were co consuls at that yes. time, and they would have been sitting together in the Senate, which of course would have meant that Mark Anthony could have defended Caesar. But yeah. uh, as planned, Trebonius pulls Mark Anthony aside to discuss with him something that they had decided, you know, yes. d- a distraction, of course. And they head inside. The Senate is normally attended by around 900 usually. So my earlier saying of Senate being 700 was a little off, 900 usually. But there's only 200 to 300 senators in this particular meeting. It's it's poorly attended. And there's 60 conspirators among them. That's a huge percentage of conspirators amongst them. Now I wonder if some senators just stayed home because they knew about the conspiracy or if other reasons. It's kind of an interesting thing.
2: There was a WhatsApp group for everybody to come, you know, came. Like, uh,
1: uh, right, yeah. A shared WhatsApp group. Can you imagine a 900 person WhatsApp group? That'd be that'd be something. So uh, there's no bodyguards in the Senate. So of course Caesar leaves his his thugs outside, his his toughs outside. And of course there's no weapons in the Senate. At least uh, as far as the Caesar's plans. aware. Yes. The chosen senators have smuggled in uh, their pugios, pugios, yes. fusilis, tagliatelles They're very noodly uh, knives. And uh, the carts have smuggled in other ones. And the signal is given. The conspirators rise and approach Caesar, forming a perimeter. Of course, these are military people. They knew they needed a military precision and a perimeter. Perimeter would help prevent Caesar from running away and also block any senators trying to help Caesar. And then, of course, we come back to Simber asking loudly, Will you pardon my brother? No, he has shown no remorse. The grab, the toga yank, the signal for Casca to attack. The stabbing, the missing, the grazing of the shoulder. Casca, what are you doing? This is violence. Uh, The brother coming up. And then the chaos ensuing. So when uh, Titidius, which was uh, Casca's brother, finally springs forward, the whole room bursts into activity. Non-conspirators rush forward finally, but are held back by the perimeter that was formed around Caesar. Conspirators themselves swarm Caesar, stab him. Brutus' hand is hit in friendly fire, and finally... Brutus himself approaches Caesar, who at that moment speaks the famous words attributed to him by Shakespeare as yes. et tu, Brute. Historians think he might have said something more along the lines of, and you, child, or and you too, child, um, which leads credence to the fact of maybe he was the, actually his child, or maybe he's kind of mocking him you know, child calling him a child or or different things. And then Brutus stabs Caesar in the groin, actually. uh, And Caesar pulls his toga over his face, which was a a sign, I think, of humility or or something, or to, to retain dignity. But the interesting thing is the conspirators then take their turn stabbing the corpse, which has 23 wounds in total of 60 conspirators, which means a few things. Not all the conspirators got in on the action. Many conspirators probably... Stabbed him more than once, and only one of the wounds actually seems to have been fatal. Also, a little bit of trivia, this was the first ever official post-mortem exam performed on a body, yes. and uh, 23 wounds, only one fatal, 60 conspirators. You do the math. It's tough times. Mark Anthony runs away. After hearing the commotion, senators scramble. Brutus, Cassius, Decimus head to the town square. People are afraid. They say, Caesar's dead. People of Rome, we are once again free. Free. But they are met with silence because the people are scared. The people are scared, and they should be because what's about to happen in Rome is not what Brutus has planned. No, chaos ensues. They had managed to pull off their plan fairly successfully, but their aftermath thinking was not quite as good.
2: They underestimated, both underestimated. Julius Caesar underestimated the Senate and the, the, how much opposition to his. Uh, actions and the opposition or the Senate underestimated the love and the admiration the people had for Julius Caesar. And even though they did it and came out with it, They did not see it in positive eyes.
1: Yep. The people were not happy about Caesar's death. No. Mark Anthony reveals Caesar's will, which contains information about Caesar bequeathing a vast portion of his money to the people themselves, giving poor people money, forgiving people's debts, money to public works, money to soldiers. And, of course, as Shakespeare immortalized in Caesar's public funeral, which the people demanded, Mark Anthony gives a famous speech In Shakespeare, he begins it with friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. In actuality, his speech was even more dramatic, saying all the things that Caesar had done for the people, and eventually the people riot in the street and burn down buildings and chaos ensues, and it doesn't take long before everything falls apart. Mark Anthony, uh, Lepidus, as well as Caesar's heir, Octavius, end up fighting against decimus who actually kind of split flip sides a few times and brutus and cassius and civil war ensues and everything falls apart they wanted to prevent rome from being taken over by a monarch and in the end after much bitter fighting a monarch does rise octavius calling himself caesar so monarchy does happen so even though the assassins succeeded fairly successfully in killing their mark their larger objective failed because they didn't think about the aftermath Yes. What's the lesson here? The lesson here is it's not just about the doing, it's what happens after, right?
2: Yes, for the ones who planned it, they meant well, but they were not connected to the people. And for Caesar, he was connected to the people, but he was not connected to the government he was leading. Both, you would say, had a failure of intelligence mm-hmm. in both sides to actually get to the results that they got to. One didn't right. understand that There's so many people in power who are not happy about the situation, and so Mm. many people in the Senate thought that they can get away with it just because they're senators and uh, they won't go against them. So in the end, it was a double failure.
1: Right. Let's go over some questions and things on on this larger thing now that we have the whole narrative. So, what what do you think Caesar could have done to protect himself?
2: When you are running a government or a country, you always have to have some kind of information or intelligence to tell you what's going on. That was not around. He didn't get it. He didn't have it. And there were so many people who knew and so much noise and so much things around that he should have picked it up. That was, of course, you would say the 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 obvious situation, how could he have avoided it? He trusted the the closest to him, the closest to him or didn't know themselves or they were part of the plot. So again, bad judgment. What could you ask? Yes, what else could he have done? Look, if he would have known for, uh, that this was the situation, he wouldn't have gone out. He would have arrested the people. He would have done everything that you would expect a person to do, but he didn't. If you don't know, if you're blind by the information, you can only know what you told. It's not like uh, there wasn't fake news. It is, he only got the information of what people told him. If you don't tell someone the truth or the situation, he doesn't know. He has to have his independent mm-hmm. sources. He has to have his independent way of doing things. Sometimes not enough to have just your closest telling you things. You have to have others, even though you think you could trust everyone.
1: A network of information. Yes. So
2: that's, you could say, was the beginning of the understanding that even when you run a government or you run the establishment, it's not just enough running it. You have to have more information. And over the years, they've always everybody relied on spies or people to tell you what what's going on so that you can make better decisions. Right. In this case, he didn't have it. Or maybe he had it, but. Maybe they were part of the conspiracy. We don't know. In this case, he was not aware of it. Even even today, governments don't know really what was going to make the people turn against them or not. If if you look at the Arab Spring, even if you have intelligence organizations and you have capabilities, sometimes events just take over, and and and, and you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And this is what happened in, to the to the people who plotted to kill him. They just didn't understand that. This is not the direction that people want. And sometimes even if though you say that this is what is right for the people and it's, uh, you want to keep something going, sometimes uh, if you don't have the support of the people, you you find yourself in a worse situation when you started with. I, I don't think they anticipated that that will happen. And that failure was the reason why Julius Caesar did not believe, in my opinion, that he would be assassinated. That was, I think, the fundamental reason why he was in a situation where he thought that they won't touch him, or they won't assassinate him, because he thought that they would understand it. It goes against the people, and therefore they will not do it. So that, you would say, is the bigger picture.
1: Interesting. So Caesar's armor was not necessarily the fact that he would prevent himself from being assassinated through, let's say, a bulletproof vest, but through the knowledge of Hey guys, aren't you like following what's going on in the street? If you kill me, that's not going to end well for you. Like that was actually his armor. If you're stupid enough to kill me, okay, but it's not going to help. That was kind of his defense, his yeah, his line of thinking. Enough. Exactly. So, what about um some of the other methods that that were discussed by the senators? Pros and cons. If you were plotting this assassination, how would you do it? How would you do it, Dad? How would you kill someone in ancient Rome?
2: I, I don't think we can judge today's tools and those tools that they had in the days that they were thinking about it when you have so many people you have to show that you are doing it together you cannot have one yeah. person so it had to be like a i would say a wolves going after a prey or a lion going after the gazelle you don't have one lion doing it you have all the pride doing it and they mm-hmm. have to have it in numbers that mm-hmm. was the only way they could do it for the people and the way as we said to, to legitimize in their own eyes, what they did, that was the only way they could do it, to do it in a way where they would feel that they're doing the honorable thing. And mm-hmm. honor was very important for them, for them. even though for it was sure. very brutal. Uh, it was very important for them to do the right thing because that was what they were aiming for. That's what the whole reason why they did it wasn't to take over power. It's interesting because sometimes they well they wanted to overtake it they wanted to overthrow him and put themselves into
1: power. Well, again, there's there's some some interpretations here. You know, some people say it's a very noble cause. Others, you know, there were there were other underlying political gains Well, that's why
2: Cicero in part of the plot because they felt like, as we said in the beginning, that if they bring someone like Cicero and he would feel that his role is to take over afterwards, and that's not what they want. It all right. fits into the to the narrative that. We're doing the noble thing. We don't want one person to have so much power. And what is happening now is that someone is taking over, going against the, the republic as the republic idea. And therefore, we have to do what, we, what we're what we doing and we have to do it in numbers. And that's why they went out immediately. They didn't hide. They didn't have an inquiry to see who was assassinated, who was the assassins. They came out immediately and said, yes, we did it. We did it as the senators. They didn't hide behind it or they didn't wait for someone to run after them or go into hiding. They were very, they thought they would be put on pedestals and, and and. People they thought say, the
1: people would be behind them, but uh, they, they misread that their intelligence was not good there. No, no. Right.
2: So yes. So your, to the question you asked, I think they, they did the way what they had to do with the information they had in the time they had. There wasn't okay. anything that I could tell you that would be different today.
1: Sixty, conspirators seems like a a heck of a lot. Is that too many, too few? As we've discussed already, I guess in this circumstances, you needed those numbers for the legitimacy aspect. It's like an impeachment. Uh,
2: If you have one person, it doesn't stand. If you have the whole Senate, it legitimizes it. It makes it feel that you're doing something right. And even if they get caught, the chances of Caesar executing everyone will make Mm -hmm. it more difficult their strength, again, was in numbers.
1: But also a weakness in, in leaking exactly, information and such.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's why at a certain point there was no choice they had to do it. Because they were not enough, but there were too many. If you only had it 3 or 4 or 5 or 10 or 15 or 20, you could probably say, you know what, not now. It's not, we're still keeping it quiet. But of course, yeah. if you get caught, it's easy to get execute 20 or get rid of 20. But when you have 60 and you have meetings to discuss it, I mean... And then these people go home. There's no vetting. You know, they start talking. Who are they going to talk to? They talk to their wives, their girlfriends, mistresses, slaves, other people. Who, who? Someone's going to say something they should. It's only a matter of time. Look, the moment you talk to yourself, you're okay, as long as no one sees it. The moment you talk to someone <laughs> else, then it's already, there could be a leak. So 60 people is too many. But again, okay, you if you understand yeah. the big picture, the big picture is, they wanted to legitimize it, and they felt they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in their eyes, they're not. It wasn't a coup. It was, it was getting rid of. It was
1: of, saving the republic.
2: Saving the republic. That was the, that was yeah. the line.
1: What if they tried to kill Mark Anthony and Lepidus? How would this have worked? Because obviously, in retrospect, if they had done that, maybe they would have been able to preserve the republic. Maybe not. Difficult to say. But uh, how would they have done that? I mean, I suppose they could have just killed Mark Anthony with Caesar in the Senate. It would have been tougher to get two, but they were 60. Um, But what about Lepidus? That would have been tough, right? He's a military guy. He's outside Rome, has his soldiers. How would they have gone about doing that, do you think? Would it have been even possible for them to do that?
2: No. If they're not in the same place in the same time, they couldn't have done it. With the resources and the time and the logistics, because they
1: would they they would have had to do it all at the same time. Because if there's any there's no, time delay,
2: there's no telephones. There's no okay. Yeah. Uh, synchronize your watches. Six o'clock. They didn't even know if it was coming out. Information. Yeah. I mean, it it, it would have been nearly impossible to do it simultaneously. They could have executed him afterwards. Of course
1: Yeah, but that would have been tough because yeah. obviously, if he had heard that Mark Anthony and Caesar were dead, then Lepidus would have been ready. You know. Yes.
2: And that wasn't the plan. And again, they want to legitimize it. So by doing it, they secure in some ways, hopefully, their future. Right. So that if things go wrong, they are not executed because they say, look, we we were not against
1: you. We were just we're bringing down the tyrant. The yes. That's what we thought. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I suppose the only way they could have killed all three of them if they did would have been to do something along the lines of organize a meeting between... The three of them at some place, and then ambush them in that place, maybe with Decimus's gladiators. But then, of course, that wouldn't seem legitimate. That would have been like a cutthroat kind of assassination it's very thing. So
2: difficult to execute something like that simultaneously when you don't have the time, the logistics,
1: and the capabilities. Right.
2: Because in the end, it's senators doing the dirty job. They didn't
1: send... Well, if they had if they had the gladiators. Well,
2: they didn't yeah. want to have it in the end. They wanted to do it themselves. Right. They're not going to have a bunch of senators running on on horses, galloping through the streets trying to assassinate someone. That's not what senators right. do. So they were right to, to stick to what they decided to do. Look, history would have said things otherwise if it would have worked in a different way. But we're just judged yeah. according to the intelligence and information we have now. Right.
1: So the only way that it would have worked is all three of them at the same time, but then it would have defeated the purpose of their their sure. goal. Yes. And it may not have even worked because of the logistic aspect to it. So, all right, do, do assassinations ever work? It seems like they make things worse. You cut off the head and a new one grows. When When is an assassination the right tool? I mean, in this case, it obviously failed. You assassinate the leader of a terrorist organization, a new one arises. When is assassination actually an effective tool? Is it ever an effective tool?
2: It's a very it's a whole discussion. Assassinations have political reasons, they have personal reasons, they have ideological reasons. Each one is mm-hmm. on its own merit. Every assassination eventually does something that changes something and creates something that you know know what is gonna happen. Sometimes it changes history, sometimes it makes world wars.
1: As the- is the case with World War One. Exactly. You know.
2: And You never know what outcome comes from assassination or we can even see from our recent, even these days, what one person's death can change and do things.
1: Yeah, I think the one unanimous thing that assassinations seem to do, generally speaking, is they immortalize the person that was assassinated to a certain extent. Depends on the person.
2: Obviously, it it makes you be part of the history I'm not just passing through
1: history. I mean, I'll put it like this. Octavius, yes. who later became Caesar, is not known as much to, to people, I think the lay person, right. compared to Julius Caesar. Whereas one could argue that Gaius Octavius Caesar, the actual founder of the, the Roman Empire, achieved a hell of a lot and did a hell of a lot, and he reigned for a long time. But he's not as known because he wasn't assassinated. You know, he died a natural death. I'll,
2: I'll I'll put it in different words. If it wouldn't have been for William Shakespeare, would we have known a lot about Julius Caesar and, and and Brutus? Would we even discuss it? Was it just a chapter in in the history book of Rome, and we would have just passed, and it would have been something? Well,
1: well, he decided to write about Julius Caesar because he was assassinated. He didn't write about Gaius. Right? Oh, no, he
2: didn't. But because Shakespeare was Shakespeare, and he wrote what he wrote and the way it was done, it glorified the situation. But if he wouldn't have written it at the time, I mean it was it happened uh, how, how many years uh, how many decades after he was assassinated with Shakespeare write it uh, quite a lot exactly so the question is all those years until then was the story of Julius Caesar that important that it went from mouth to ear to mouth so generation to generation was it told in stories in in in, in schools in Rome about Julius Caesar and Brutus? I think not So it is again part of how you put... Bring history and bring events and put them into the. Park. How is history told? Sure. Yes. there were so many assassinations in even if you read the Bible or afterwards that no one knows and no one so no one cares or didn't change that much or even did change, but they were not written, mm-hmm. they were not taught about. But in this case, because of the way it was done and because it was put on plays and because it was a new thing, it became well known. And as it because it was documented, of course. It helps to have a bit more understanding because it really is quite remarkable that you have so much information about the happenings just before the death. If they are true, even if they're not, it's a good story to build on to talk about the situation because the fundamental situation is, is what we discussed. Someone who felt that it couldn't happen to him and people who felt that they can get away with it and change things because they think it's the right thing to do. That is what it's all about.
1: I think that's a great way to to end this. We talked about Shakespeare, and uh, we'll end this with a Shakespeare quote from Julius Caesar himself, Act 2, Scene 2. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. Of all the wonders that I yet have heard, it seems to me most strange that men should fear, seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. This was Spies and Lies. Thanks for listening. And remember, if your best friend happens to assure your safety when going out to the movies, better check that popcorn. Spies and Lies is a Grumpy Golem production with original scoring and mastering by Julian Dussault. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to share with your friends and leave a comment or review wherever you're listening from. If you have any questions or subjects you'd like for my father and I to cover, Drop us a message and we'll do our best to get back to you. Until next time.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands.